Amen. You know, honestly, I, 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 I really thought about not speaking because I thought the letters did such a fantastic job of taking us back. And, and, and it, you know, I'm like, all right, we need to build on that, man. I want to thank you guys so much for your faith, your courage, your vision. You know, yesterday was a very special time together, and, and I mean, all the hands, all the, uh, the voices, and Larney, and uh, Junior, and Veronica, and everybody who all put the, you know, Fred Goodman was on the grill. I mean, it was a special time, uh, a very special time, and, and you know, it all started with a dream. It all started with one radical idea. And I want to encourage and challenge the Harlem Church to keep dreaming for what God can do in your life individually and in our great church. Have you ever had a dream that never came true? Do you remember the emotions you felt when you came to grips with the reality that it just might not happen? Or maybe you had an idea that you were so fired up and inspired about it, you ran it across a couple people and it just fell on deaf ears. And they would thought, amen, bro, pray about it. You know, for some people, they would stop right there, paralyzed by fear and disappointment, afraid to keep dreaming, afraid to keep putting it out there. But I thank God that there were a group of people who did not allow themselves to stop dreaming for God. So today, our message is simply this, a radical idea. Our church was born from a radical idea. When you think about all the greats that started off, they all, most people who are successful today started off with failure. I mean, consider this. If Thomas Edison quit after 9,999 failures, there would be no light bulb. We'd be sitting here with candles burning each other up. If Howard Schultz gave up after being turned down by 245, by banks 242 times, there would be no Starbucks, and we'd all be falling asleep in church. If Walt Disney quit too soon after his theme park idea was trashed 302 times, there'd be no Disneyland, and we had nothing to inspire our kids to get better grades with. If J.K. Rowling quit after being turned down by multiple publishers for years while supporting herself on welfare, there would be no Harry Potter. And we would be bored to death, right? All radical ideas. You know, there was another person who had a radical idea. 31 years ago, a group of disciples were meeting downtown and the leader asked the group to share a vision that they had for what God want, could do in their lives and what they wanted to see God do. And as they went around the room, a young Christian at the time named Brenda, now we know her as Brenda Boyce, shared, I want to see a church in Harlem. And the room went silent. You can hear a pin drop. People were like, Harlem? Imagine if Brenda was discouraged by the silence. Imagine if Gerald 
and his wife were discouraged by the silence. There might not have been a Harlem church. We'd probably just be one New York City church. Now, that would be fine, but I know y'all love y'all some Harlem. And it started with a radical idea, someone saying, I want to see a church where I'm from, in my neck of the woods, in my hood, if you will. That radical idea sparked the growth of a church to as many as 500 disciples over a span of 20 years. And I believe it all started with one group having a radical idea that God could not ignore. God does not ignore radical ideas. I just saw something flash across the screen. Can you guys bring that back? Today's total special contribution total, $57,908 to God be the glory. You guys are awesome. A radical idea. Jesus himself had a radical idea which he shared with his disciples before returning to his father. In Matthew 28, he says, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, not just here in Jerusalem, but all nations. I want everyone to know the truth. I want everyone to be saved. I want everyone to have a relationship with the father. That, at the time, was a radical idea. And Jesus planted that seed in the heart of a few men who had no prior training. They were not trained under the pharisaical teachings. They did not have a following, a group. They did not have the, uh, uh, doctorates and, and PhDs. These were fishermen, tax collectors. And God put in their hearts a radical idea. And we are fruits of that radical idea today. You know, Jesus had a radical idea of changing the world with a bunch of imperfect people. And he entrusted them with the perfect plan to go make disciples. Therefore, building the right church is dependent on using all the wrong people. Believe it or not, sometimes we think we got to have the right this and the right that. We got to have all the right elements. Well, think about that for a second because sometimes we think that the key elements to church growth is the performance we got to have a great choir to, to perform well because my friends, they're used to hearing uh, uh, Kirk Franklin and they're, they're used to hearing some, some Donnie McClurkin, so our choir got to bring their A game before I bring my friends to church. So how's the performance? And then we got to have the right place because my people, they go to a temple and they got their names engraved on the seats and I'm not bringing my friends to no PS 129. The food all over the floors, meeting in the cafeteria is hot. We're passing out. I don't want to bring my friends to that. So we got to have a better place for me to get my family and my professional friends out too. How many programs do we have? My friend's church got a whole lot of programs. They got career development programs. They got parent development programs. They got youth development programs. They got development programs for their development programs. We got to offer people something to keep them coming back. So we got to have a first-class kids program. We can't have people slouching. And then lastly, we got to have professionals leading our church. James, how many degrees you got? How many languages do you speak? We need professionals leading our children's ministry so we can drop them off and 
with the professionals. So that's it, right? We got a performance at a place with programs ran by professionals. That's how the Harlem church grew. That is not how the Harlem church grew. There are two P's left out of this equation. People and the power of God. The Harlem church started with two small Bible talks who had a radical idea that they could take this good news that changed their lives to a community of lost family and friends who are dying, who are hurting, who are suffering, who are desperate. A radical idea that silenced even other believers, shook their faith, but not the people who this church was built on. Two small groups. One met in Henry Lawson's living room. You know, I often envy some of our brothers and sisters. I, I, could, I was just, I loved that scene. The church go from being a Bible talk in someone's home to us gotten me spending like half my, my week looking for a place big enough to hold just our kids alone. Because we got kids. We got churning up in Harlem. All right? And we always needed multiple classrooms. They're like, bro, well, we can't have our kids in service, bro. No, we got to find a place big enough for children's classes. The Harlem church started with people who had a radical idea and faith in the power of God. Therefore, if we want to be a part of something amazing, it's not going to take all these things. As a matter of fact, it's going to take people and not performance. Imagine being in a church on the other side of the world where it's illegal for the church to even exist. You wait until midnight when everyone else in the village is asleep to quietly leave your house under the cover of darkness and you sneak down winding roads past silent houses looking around every corner to make sure no one is following you. You know that if you or anyone else from your church is caught, you may never see home again. For that matter, you may not even see the light of day again. Yet you continue until you round a bend and then you see a small house with a faint light emanating from it Checking one last time to make sure you've not been tailed, you slip inside. And there you're greeted by a small band of brothers and sisters who have made the same long trek. As you look at their weary and expected faces, you realize something. Not one of them has come because a great preacher has been scheduled to preach. Not one of them is present because a cool band is scheduled to play. No, all are there simply because they desire to gather with other God people. And they are willing to risk their lives to be together. That is what it's like for some of our brothers and sisters across the world. In communist countries, they got to sneak around just to fellowship with each other. What if the church itself was what God intended to be the attraction? regardless of who's teaching or singing that day, would that be enough for you? When I came around 20-something years ago, I wasn't blown away by the choir or the singing because, honestly, I came from a church that had a strong choir. 
I was a part of it. So maybe I was a little biased. But the singing, that wasn't what impressed me initially. The preaching. I got used to it after a while, but I'm used to a lot, of, a lot more enthusiasm, if you know what I'm talking about. A little more charisma. And, and so initially, that wasn't the first thing that caught my eye. You know what caught my eye? It's when I walked through the door and I saw blacks and whites and Asians and Hispanics all together in one place having church together. Because where I went to church, there were only black people, and if a white person stumbled in, it's because they had the wrong address, or they were a tourist, and they were looking for an opportunity to step out quietly without being disrespectful to the service. I was blown away by the people, and the warmth that I felt, the hugs that I got. With the churches I went to, people couldn't wait to leave, falling asleep on each other. You can't get people to leave after service. They had to, on Friday night, the girl had to sound the, 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 the fire alarm to get us out the building. Why? Because we love being around each other. We're trying to tell people, we got to go. We got to go. They, the girl had to sound the, the, sound the alarm to get us to leave the building. Is the church just enough for you? Listen to Paul's instructions in Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Do you know that nowhere in the New Testament we're instructed to have instruments in our worship? We're not instructed to do that. So for some of us, we may feel like, yeah, how come your church doesn't have, you know, drums and organ? You don't have an organist or pianist and none of those things? Well, you share this scripture right here with them. We make music in our hearts to the Lord. Now, if they don't believe you, just, 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 just wait. Just give, give it a minute. Just give it a minute. Let me tell you, yesterday was a special day. We had a great time catching up with old friends, making new friends. But one of the most memorable moments to me was when Fred Goodman got up to sing Bound to the Rock. Now, you know, every time Fred's around, we got to get him to sing Bound to the Rock, right? That's just a given. But what really got me was the brother could barely get through the song without being choked up and overwhelmed with emotion because he was reunited with the brothers and sisters that he fought these spiritual wars with. He could barely get through the song. And there were people in the audience crying. We, was cry we were crying with them. We were all caught up in emotion because of the love, the music that passed from one heart to the next heart to the next heart. We were making music together. We were singing songs to each other. Are you still bound to the rock, bro? I'm glad to see George is still bound to the rock. I'm glad to see you're still bound to the rock. I'm glad to see you're still bound to the rock. It was an experience. This is what God intended. This is what God intended, that when we come together each week, that it's an experience that people don't often get when believers come together. We don't need a band to evoke that type of emotion. All we need is each other. People, not places. When people committed to God gather together, the place doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, Jeremy read this earlier. They met together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes. How many of you guys remember Brenda Boyce's cornbread? We had some yesterday, and it brought back some memories. It brought back some memories. I got to go do a few laps today after service, but glad and sincere hearts. You know, sometimes it's not even the quality of the food. It's the quality of the relationships and the friendship that makes our hearts good. You know, these peaceful gatherings would be short-lived after the Jews were sharing their faith. They were still practicing some of their traditions. They would go to the temple to worship, but this, this newfound faith started rubbing other Jews the wrong way. And so eventually they got persecuted. And three chapters after this, you start to see that the church was heavily persecuted because they were sharing the good news about Jesus being the Messiah. Not everyone felt good about that. And so they, were, they had to leave the temples and fellowship in their homes. And so the place that they were used to meeting was no longer available to them. It was no longer welcoming to them. So they stopped having church. No! They took it to their homes. Why? Because the place does not matter. The place does not matter. Does it help to meet in a place that has AC in 90 degree weather? You better believe it. But are you going to stop coming to church because the AC stopped working? Let me tell you something. Glory, glory sounds just as good at Prince Hall as it does in the Apollo Theater. We were still bound to the rock, even though we were meeting the place as ugly as the rock in Victoria 5. You guys know what I'm talking about. Victoria 5 with that big hot spotlight. You didn't want to sit in the front row or nowhere near that light. Your neck would be on fire. And instead of drinking your communion juice, you're tempted to pour it on your neck because it's so hot. Nobody wanted to sit on that side. And let me tell you something. Back then, the Apollo Theater did not live up to the hype. I think somebody actually got hurt sitting in one of the chairs at the Apollo. And Prince Hall, well, you guys already know. Brothers will come up and say, bro, are we really going to meet here? You see those statues over there? You see all these signs? We're going to have church. And who can forget the Harlem space? Now, I think a lot of y'all cheering because y'all got baptized in that big old jacuzzi tub. Some of us didn't get, we didn't have that luxury. I personally got baptized in a tub. I didn't know what yoga was back then, but in that moment, I was doing some move, yoga move. But they wanted to make sure I was all the way under. I don't know why we couldn't come up with a better name than Harlem Space. That's a side note, but anyway. It, it didn't matter, though. The Harlem Space had its issues, too. It had its issues, too. They all had their issues. But what really mattered? Were you a meeting or who was going to be there to welcome you once you got there. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 9 through 10, I'm not going to read through the whole passage, but in verse 13, Paul wants to give us some perspective. 
on how the church should use their resources that God has blessed them to give. Paul did not, we, we were not commanded to use the resources to purchase a building. Now, I know that may not sit well with some of you, but that's just the God honest truth. Now, the Bible is clear on how we should use our resources. In verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. You know, the whole point of giving was to spread the gospel, was to spread the gospel, was to take care of the poor churches that could not support themselves. Jerusalem was one of those churches that needed support. And so the resources that the disciples gathered was to support other churches that could not support themselves. That is an obligation we have before God. And if we're pouring millions of dollars into a building, think about how God must look at that. There are better ways you can use that resource. There are better ways you can use that money to help meet the needs in the church and help focus on the mission of the church. Paul makes it even clearer in the next verse in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. God doesn't live in a building. God does not live in a building. So we should not put most of our focus on a building, Paul spent more time focused on building people and less time focused on building places. Yesterday was a beautiful day at Rye Playland. But it wasn't because of where we met. It was because of everyone that was there. That's what made it beautiful. That's what made it so special. It was the people, not the place. People, not programs. If we lost this space here at Aaron Davis Hall and couldn't find another place to meet, do you think we could still make disciples? Absolutely. Disciples are made in homes, not meeting spaces. People make disciples, not programs. You know, when our brother Gonzalo Ortiz had to go back to his country in Ecuador, he had no program to follow, he had only the Bible. And where he went, he used the Bible to make the disciples. Because it wasn't about the building or the place or the program. It was about the people. It was about the people. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You want to know what our program is? The B-I-B-L-E. The basic instructions before leaving earth. That's our program. Now, we, yeah, we can put things together to help, you know, uh, teach specific things and, and help develop. And all that can be good and gravy. But at the end of the day, we don't want to become dependent on some program. People aren't converted to a program. They're converted to Jesus. And so people are more important. We invest in people. Most of every opportunity that we have in our ministries, God put that. He built it into our lives. You don't need to be to go to a specific place to learn how to be a disciple. You know, some of us learn how to study the Bible with people just by being at somebody's house. Just by being at just by sitting at disciples' feet, learning how to move someone's heart with God's word. That's how I learn. I learn by watching and doing 
I didn't learn it in the classroom. I didn't learn it in, in, in some, some to-do guide. I learned it by watching and doing. That's how the church in Harlem was built. And then lastly, lastly, people not professionals. We have a lot of professionals in our church. But I'll tell you one thing, you don't have a lot of professionals building our church. And what do I mean by that? You know, after talking to my brother Gerald yesterday and him telling me his story, I thought, I'm like, wow, this is a great brother, faithful brother. He loved people, but he was not a professional church builder. It wasn't like he came here and just like, okay, I know exactly what to do and we're going to do. That's not how he came. He was just a man who had love, compassion in his heart, who made sacrifices in his personal life and for his career to come and build God's church. People, not professionals. Sometimes I think people wait for the professionals to do everything. James and Zalika will make the disciples. The Bible taught leaders, and no, God called all of us, all of us to go and make disciples. There are no professional church builders here. We're all doing this together, amen? The church in the first century was led by unschooled, ordinary men and women. Unschooled until Paul came around. And even Paul would tell you, I'm not a man of eloquent speech. Paul had his insecurities. Paul didn't consider himself an expert builder outside of what God had already done in his life. Because he was guilty of tearing the church down. Every single person in this room is called by God to help build his church. Every single person in this room has a dream in their heart that they're dying to see realized. And God wants to see realized yourself. You know, I, I think about how much faith it takes to jump onto someone else's dream. Maybe it wasn't your dream to come to Harlem. Maybe you just happened to land in Harlem. Or maybe Harlem landed on you. I don't know how it happened. I'll be honest, you guys heard the story many times. When I was asked to come into the ministry, Harlem was not on my top ten list. In fact, I was a little discouraged because I'm like, Harlem? I never hung out in Harlem. Why, why Harlem? And I had a lot of hurtful past. I, you know, like I, my brother was murdered in Harlem. I didn't want to come to Harlem. But I didn't realize that God was going to use that. He's going to use that hurt to have compassion for other people who were hurting like me. I'm not the only one who lost someone in Harlem. And God wanted to use that to reach out to other people. There was no profession about it. There was just love and compassion for other people. And let me tell you something. Harlem will always be led by the people. You guys may think, I'm, just because I'm up here, I'm, I'm leading the church. You guys lead the church. You lead the church. You create the atmosphere. Your hearts, your sacrifices, you are the church. If you don't go, and I just say go, the church doesn't move. You are the church. 
You are the church. You are the great idea. You are the answer to what this community needs. And we got to start seeing ourselves this way. You know, as I close out, in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. You know, Jesus, he only had 33 years on this planet. I already outlived Jesus. I'm 45 years old. I've been on this earth longer than Jesus has in a physical form. And because of that, I have the potential to do more than what Jesus got to do while he was on earth. And guess what? So does you. You have the ability and the potential to do even greater things. And as a church, we've already done more than what Jesus had done. Jesus, by the time he had finished his ministry, he preached to thousands of people. He fed thousands of people. By the time Jesus went to heaven, he had a following of only 120 people left. Harlem is 300. We've already doubled, if not tripled, Jesus' ministry. That's because Jesus said, you're going to do greater things. You may not raise somebody from the dead, but really, who would want to? You would want all that attention? You may not be able to feed 5,000 people. Maybe you want to. I personally wouldn't want that because my phone would blow up more than it already does now. Hey, James, I've got, got a banquet. i got a wedding. Do you think you could come by and hook this water up? You know, we ran out of wine and could use a little of your mojo or something. I mean, you, people wouldn't follow you for the right reasons, just like they didn't follow Jesus for the right reasons. But we get a chance to have an impact on people's lives. We get to have a... a, a we get to put our fingerprint on the souls of countless people because Jesus said that we would do more. The key for all of us is a strong desire and a deliberate effort. Regardless of your place in the church, remember that you're not intended to be sidelined the, in the kingdom of God. You may feel at times like you're the wrong person thinking that you're not gifted enough, smart enough, talented enough, or qualified enough to engage in the ministry. And this is simply not true. That's a lie from Satan. You have the Word of God before you. You have the Spirit of God in you. And you have the command of God to you. Make disciples of all nations. I want to challenge us to not only dream for Harlem alone, but dreaming about going back to your home country and building the church there. All of New York has not been evangelized yet. There are parts of New York that still need to hear the gospel of God. Do you have that dream in your heart? Do you just comfortable with being where you feel comfortable? What about taking a message where it's not heard yet? We still need dreamers. We still need people with radical ideas that can take God's word to where it's not been told yet. It's not the performances. It was not the places. It was not the programs. And it was not the professionals that built the Harlem church. It was the people and it was the power of the almighty God. And it's the only thing that God will use to continue to take the church to the next level. One radical idea can make all the difference. One radical decision can change your life forever. 
and one radical church can change the world. To God be the glory.